We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the night. You guys hear that? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Tony Merkel, and I am really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad to be here. I hope everybody had a great week at work. My week went by incredibly fast for actually coming off a week of vacation. Usually it drags and it's hard to get through the week, but this week went by really well, and I was really grateful for that. I got a great show planned for you guys tonight, but before we get to that, I just want to let you know, if you've had an encounter of any kind or a story you'd like to share on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email at theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Also, go on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, give us a follow and a like. And if you want, go ahead and look me up on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Tony underscore Merkel, and that's the same thing for my personal Twitter, Tony underscore Merkel. Now, tonight's show, we have Jack coming on, and Jack has pretty much experienced paranormal activity his entire adult life. He left his small hometown that he grew up in and moved to the big city and searched for a music career. And right around that time is when he started experiencing a lot of paranormal activity, anything from being scratched to seeing a little girl in his house. He has a lot of different stories he wants to share with us tonight. So without any further delay, let's get to Jack. Okay, tonight I have a special guest coming on, Jack. Jack contacted me through email, and he has had a pretty much a life of paranormal experiences uh, stemming from his childhood. He's actually had a group that he was a part of that I think he might have even started. Uh, it was a paranormal group where they actually did like ghost hunting and things like that. And uh, some things happened to him throughout his life that are pretty dramatic, and he'd like to come on tonight and share that with us. Jack, how are you? I'm great, Tony. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. I'm glad you're here. Now, uh, we were talking before the show and everything, and you said that you you were actually listening to this past week's show with Jim, and Jim said something that struck a chord with you. Uh, Jim said something like, "If you go looking for something, you'll 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 find it." 
And uh, you said that kind of hit home to you because you've experienced just that throughout your life. Um, but you were also talking about when you were a kid, when, when you were real young, something had happened to you. Did you want to start there or how do you want to go about telling people your experiences? Well, I'll, I'll just reiterate kind of what you said about Jim really quick before I go into my story of, you know, he had said that, you know, if, if you're open and curious, you may find what you're looking for. And that really struck a nerve for me when I started the paranormal group, but we can get into that later. Um, I guess I can start out by, you know, talking about my childhood briefly. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up with an older brother and an older sister. We're all three years apart. And uh, when I was little, I, I can recall this reoccurring nightmare. In fact, I had this nightmare throughout my life. Like the last time I had it, I think I was about 28 or 29 years old. But it was just some kind of weird thing that, you know, I talked to my mom about it and she said, oh, relax, it's just a nightmare. But it was the strangest thing, you know, I, my brother was chained to this miniature volcano in our kitchen. And there was this evil Santa Claus that was trying to kill him. And I was trying to help him. And, and uh, I don't know why that stands out so much in my life. And I don't know why I had that nightmare so many times, but I had it almost nightly when I was, you know, five and six and, and growing up and then it kind of faded away, but it was just a really weird thing, you know, and it would never differ. It was always the same. Um, and I'd wake up, you know, just drenched in sweat. Even when I was a little kid, I don't even know if you have sweat glands when you're that little, but, (laughs) um, that's kind of where the weirdness, I guess, started for me. Um, I know that reoccurring nightmares are, something that a lot of kids have, but just that to that depth, I mean, it scared the heck out of me. Um, but, uh, as I was growing up, you know, I kind of, I went to Catholic school. I, you know, a Catholic grade school and a Catholic high school and kind of rebelled a little bit. Um, I thought there was some hypocrisy in the Catholic religion at, at one point in my life. And, and, uh, you know, so I rebelled against that and, you know, started getting into drinking and smoking pot and doing all those things that high school kids do. Um, but as soon as I turned of age to, you know, move, move on, I grew up in kind of a small town and, uh, there wasn't any future there. I thought for me, I wanted to play rock and roll. You know, I wanted to be a rock star, like just like every kid, I guess, or a lot of kids. And, uh, so I packed up my stuff. I had some friends from Austin that, uh, were living in my hometown and they set me up with some friends of theirs down in Austin. And I promptly moved down there with just a bag of clothes well, it didn't really work out very well. I was on the streets for a little while, um, not too long, a few weeks, and and then finally got a, you know, meaningless job and whatnot down there. But tried to uh, get into the music scene, and it took a while, but eventually I did. I um, started playing in a, a punk rock band, and 
And uh, didn't I kind of found out that you got to have talent to be a musician. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and I thought I actually did. Our band would play. We opened for some pretty, pretty cool bands. Um, probably nothing anybody would really know unless you're from Austin. But, um, you know, as I lived down there, I mean, I, I lived down there for, well, I guess about 15 years. And I found out that you can't really make any money playing music in Austin. Everybody's in a band down there. And so there was a big grunge movement in Seattle. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll move there. Well, of course, I was already getting into harder drugs and whatnot. And, um, you know, you meet a lot of people in the music scene, you know, especially in the punk rock scene. People are very defined. You know, they have a look about them. Um, and I don't mean that as a negative thing by any means. Um, you know, you just recognize people. And uh, I'll get back to that later in my story. But I decided to move to Seattle to get a change. My band was going to move there. We were going to bring our flavor of music up there and try to battle the grunge guys and come out with our hellbilly sound. And of course, at the last minute, most of my band decided not to move there. And uh, I wound up going alone. Um, I met some pretty influential people there, but my music career didn't take off. And so I wound up back in Texas, uh, worse on drugs, and decided that it was time to change my life. Well, so I went ahead and I got clean. The first time. Um got back into regular work and things like that. And I still, you know, throughout that whole time, I, I, I kept running into a few people. I never knew their names. I never introduced myself, but like, I would see somebody that I knew from Austin when I lived in Seattle. I didn't, when I say know them, I just say, well, it was somebody that I recognize from one of the clubs I played at. So that's not too uncommon, I guess, because they both have a really heavy duty music scene. But um, what I found out later was that uh, these people, there's two for sure that I know of. Um, I guess I, I was the only, only one seeing them. <laughs> I know that sounds just crazy and, and really weird. And, um, you know, at first I thought it was all oh, the drugs or whatever, you know, anyway, I was starting to notice differences with me. How did you find out that you were the only one seeing these people? Well, I had gone to a friend of mine and with my, the girl that I was dating and it was the middle of the day. Uh, we got out of the car and we started walking towards this, her apartment, this other girl's apartment. And these, this other car pulled up and these three girls got out. And um, I had was telling my girlfriend, I said, yeah, I, I, I keep seeing that girl all over the place. I saw her in Seattle. I, I, 
I met her here and I saw her in Seattle and now I see her again. And she's with those, those other, she was with those other two girls. Cause it was on my mind. And, and my girlfriend was like, what are you talking about? I'm like that red car. She got out of the back seat. Um, she goes, my girlfriend's like, you talking about, well, she said that heavy set girl or she identified the girl as being, you know, overweight or whatever, not the one that extra, but you mean with that, heavy set girl and I said yeah but the one with the black hair the punk rock girl she goes there there was only two girls there and I'm like no no you just didn't see her I guess I you know she goes no I'm telling you there was only two girls there I saw them I was looking at what they were wearing you know girls are always checking out each other's clothes or whatever I sure, guess. Yeah. I don't know but she swore up and down there was only two, and I'm like, I was absolutely sure there was three. The girl that you saw that your girlfriend said was not there, did that girl ever acknowledge you? Did you ever notice that that girl looking at you or, you know, kind of singling you out as far as acknowledging that you're there noticing her? She must have been at a half a dozen of my shows. We had locked eyes. We ran in the same circle of people. Um, I mean, I, I didn't know her name. I never asked about her, but it was one of those people that, you know, you just recognize, you see all over the place. She was in the scene, in the music scene. Okay. And, um, you know, so I, I, I like never really knew anybody that knew her, but I mean, you just remember people that are like, you know, dressed differently. And this girl was always dressed you know, punk rock, she always wore the same thing. I mean, I, I, flesh and blood, I swear to God, she was there. It wasn't some kind of, uh, you know, uh, apparition or something. I mean, she was solid. I, I just don't have an explanation for that. And there is a time when I saw her later in life as well. And, um, at a store and, uh, this, that was in where I live now, and I tried to, uh, you know, tried to chase her down around the aisle, and there was nothing. Like, she was gone. Wow. I mean, it, it's so unbelievable. It almost sounds trivial or phony, but, I mean, you know, I look back on a lot of the stuff that happened to me, and I, I think... You, did that really happen? I mean, was I going crazy at that point in my life? But, you know, I was clean from drugs at that time. So at any rate, I, I moved back uh, up north. Um, my father was sick. He had uh, gotten cancer. And uh, I had gotten clean, um, you know, right after I found out and then eventually moved up here. Um, to be close to family and support my mom and stuff. And then, of course, right after my dad passed, I spun out again. Um, but only for a short time. And uh, got my, it was less than a month. And I got myself clean and I moved a little bit further north, um, you know, about an hour and a half away from where my mom and, and where I grew up. And that's when things started to get really, really weird. Um, 
I had, uh, I was doing opiates, um, and I had used methadone to, um, you know, to come down off of the opiates as a slow withdrawal process. And, um, I got down to a certain point and I kept getting sick. I couldn't get off it. So I flew to Detroit and I did this thing called rapid detox. Well, I died three times on the table because I have sleep apnea. Um, during that process, they were going to stop it. And then they decided, well, we're too far into it. We're just going to have to go for it. And I came out okay. But when I, when I woke up from that procedure, I felt different. I mean, I definitely felt different. Um, my vision was blurry for about two weeks. I didn't sleep for well, probably about 10 days and I didn't eat for almost a month. Um, that's how sick that stuff made me. Um, but there was more to it. I, I uh, had a friend stay with me and kind of take nurse me back to health. And I started college and stuff. And, um, you know, things were starting to get back to normal. Well, he moved, he kind of moved out. Um, not that he was really moved in, but he moved on and um, things started going on in my house. Um, it was a really kind of a crappy house, older house the cheapest one, you know, something I could afford while being in college. And I kept hearing knocks and people walking around on the floors and stuff while I'm asleep and, and all kinds of stuff. And I, I I'm going to be really honest here. I, I was scared, bro. Um, there was nights I slept in my Jeep with my cat, you know, uh, one night, um, I had, uh, I had woke up to go use the bathroom. I wear glasses and, uh, you know, you don't need that to use the restroom. I opened my door, um, to go into the bathroom and straight ahead. If you look down my hallway, my couch was at the, in the living room and I didn't have my glasses on. I could have swore there was somebody sitting on my couch. And so I, jumped back in and I slammed the door. Now, granted, I was already scared from all the stuff that was going on, the knocks and the, you know, things like that. I was watching those ghost hunter shows. That's kind of when that got popular. And so I thought, oh, this is just a figment of my imagination. But I definitely thought I saw that figure. So I slammed the door. I jumped back in my room and I'm like, oh, shoot, there's, well, that's not exactly what I said, but Oh my God, there's somebody in my house. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I don't know what to do. Uh, I should call somebody and well, it's two o'clock in the morning. Who are you going to call? And what are you going to say if you do call? So I, I put my glasses on and I opened the door and I looked and there wasn't anybody on the couch. I knew there wouldn't be anybody on the couch, but there was this girl a young girl peeking around the wall down the hallway in my house. And she had black eyes. I mean, like, no, well, it was just dark. I, I don't know if her eyes were black or if she didn't have any. So 
So I quick slammed the door and I was freaking out and I tried to call a couple of people and I threw on some clothes and I ran out of the house and spent another night in my Jeep in the driveway with the cat. Um, around that point, I was waking up, uh, you know, at 3 a.m. almost every day. Why? I don't know. But, uh, I would wake up, I'd go, I'd go into work. You know, I'm just so tired. I couldn't even shower before work, but I was working in a sweatshop in a factory and I'd get to work and my friends are like, dude, what happened to your neck? And I'm like, what? And I'd look and I'd feel, and I could feel these raised marks on my neck. And I'd go in the bathroom and I'd look and I'd be like, oh my God. There's scratches all over me. My cats are declawed. So I knew it wasn't. I only had one cat at that time. I knew it wasn't her. I would have felt it anyway. Just things were starting to get really weird there. Um, I had, uh, after about a month of that, I had uh, hurt my back at work and... I was offered, you know, they, I told them I was honest with my doctor. I was in recovery and they said, you know, they did x-rays. They said, look, you've got a, you know, bursa that's blown out in your back. You need surgery. And I I didn't have any insurance. I'm like, you know, I don't know what to do here. I could have watched my life crumble or I could get on medication and continue to work until I could afford it. So thinking that I could use the medication responsibly, I, chose that route and of course I failed um which was a miserable feeling I mean I felt like I just didn't care anymore you know my house is haunted I'm seeing things that aren't there uh I asked I reached out for help to a priest and he told me I needed a psychiatrist are you Um, serious oh yeah well, yeah, he wouldn't help me. Um, wow. I have tattoos and stuff all over me. I guess he probably thought I was... That shouldn't matter. ...some whack job. That shouldn't well, matter. That frustrates he, me. I'm he sorry. Turned, he, wasn't, he wasn't the only priest that turned me away. I went to three churches, and they all basically told me I needed psychological help, and I knew that wasn't it. And I was just at my lowest point. I, I was using so much drugs. I mean, I... I should have been dead. And when I say that, you know, a lot of people say that, but I'm talking, I would get my prescription of the strongest Oxycontin that they had at the time, which were eighties. And that would be gone in three days. It's a lot. 90 of them. I should have been dead, but I never even felt it. So what I did was I reached out to the person that helped me get clean before. And I said, I don't know what to do. Everything is messed up. I'm seeing things. I'm crazy. I don't know what's going on. And he goes, you need to go see this lady. And so this was in like 2008. I, uh, I reached out to this lady from work. I called her from work after finding a bunch more scratches on me. And, um, I got to jump back a little bit. 
Uh, I was dating a girl at that time, and she saw the scratches on my neck, and she's like, that goes all the way under your shirt. I'm over at her house, and she goes, lift up your shirt, and I lifted it up, and there was just scratches all over me, on my back, on my sides, under my arms, all the way going up my neck. And when I lifted up my shirt, tears just fell out of my face, dude. I was, I was a mess. I mean, literally at my wit's end. Anyway, I went and I saw this lady. I called her and and I'm like, look, I got your number from so-and-so. Um, I don't really have permission to use his name, but, uh, and he said that you might be able to help me. I don't even know what my problem is. And she goes, just, just calm down. Um, I, I can help you. Well, it turns out she's a Reiki master and she had, uh, she had some abilities and, this is going to sound really trivial again, like it's not real, but it, it happened. She, uh, she had, uh, asked me to come over. And by the way, I was journaling all this stuff when it started happening. And I started talking to my mom. My mom said, write everything down. That's good advice. My mom also told me, yeah, my mom also told me, uh, when this stuff started happening, that this runs in my family by the way, um, which would have been nice to know prior to that point, but yeah, <laughs> it is sure. what it is. Uh, so I go and I see this lady and she says, so this is how I work. Uh, you know, you, you talk about what's bothering you and you may hear me mumbling or whatever. That's how, that's my version of prayer. That's how I talk to who I need to talk to, to, to get guidance and this and that. And I'm like, you know, at this point, I was so desperate. I was like, well, you know, anything, I'll try anything. Because I, I didn't know what was going on. And um, I started talking and reading to her from the, the journal that I had. And she started making some of these mumbling noises. Well, when I was a little kid, I used to make up these rhymes in my head, you know, and I would like say them over and over. And one of them really stands out. And I'm sitting across from her at her house and she starts mumbling that rhyme that I had said when I was a little kid, like I used to say it all the time. And she was mumbling that rhyme. It freaked me out really bad. Um, It's like she looked into my soul, you know? Anyway, she did... uh, I saw her about four times and she did these, uh, what she called the shamanic bands of power. And, um, when she did them, I saw light flashes in the room. I mean, it was really, really crazy. Um, you know, light swooshes flying in front of my face and whatnot. But anyway, she had completed and I had told her what I was seeing after she completed this thing. And she said, um, you shouldn't be afraid now. And and I said, I feel completely different. I'm I'm actually not afraid. Um, I felt empowered and, uh, that was a feeling I hadn't felt in a long time. Um, maybe never. 
So was she was she Native American? No. Okay. No, she was she's like a little old lady. She was like a grandmother. Um she was an angel of some sort to me. I mean, that's all I can really really describe her. I'm getting a little emotional, dude. I'm sorry, man. That's yeah, fine. Uh, but anyway, I, I needed answers, you know, I, all this stuff happened to me. She had removed the people from my house, the spirits that were in my house. One was a girl and one was a guy that didn't want to leave. And she had come by and she removed these people from my house. She cleared it. And, um, she had told me, she said, you know, I, I asked her, I'm like, I need to know why this happened to me. And she's like, you know, that's some stuff is just best left alone. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't listen to her. You know, I probably should have thinking back now, but you know, that's, that's why that what Jim Wilhelmson said was so it's, it's, that's why it struck a nerve. I mean, here I am. Um, she had told me I was empathic. My mom told me I was empathic. And I just thought, you know, uh, you know, at first I thought it was a bunch of hooey, but um, realizing after what I'd been through that, yeah, I feel other people's feelings. Um, but I needed answers. Why, why did I get picked? Was it because I did drugs and by the way I'm in recovery now I've been I'm just coming up on 10 years clean by the way congratulations and, uh, thank you thank you um there's been a couple of your podcasts that have really touched home for me uh, Jason was or I, I don't know if I should mention his name but no that's fine a couple of the podcasts that were really really hit home for me and that's that's how I knew I needed to call you. Uh, we work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 smart bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. But uh, I started a ghost hunting team um, the same year I went to college. Um, I went to college to become an alcohol and drug counselor, which I have been doing for the last uh, seven years. Um, I started this paranormal team. We, We were just trying to help people like me. You know, I'd found a couple of guys. Uh, actually, one was uh, my ex-girlfriend's son, who was um, 30 or 27 at the time. And uh, the guy that had helped me um, when he when I got back from Detroit and had that procedure, uh, they were both into it, and they wanted to, to do this thing with me. And so we set off to try to help people. Well, what we found out 
a little bit of advertising, you know, everybody and their brother thinks their house is haunted. And we were spending all this time and money on equipment and um, not really catching any evidence or getting any answers. And maybe that's selfish. I don't know. But we decided that we would stick to the uh, places that we knew there would be some spiritual interaction. And uh, that probably wasn't a good decision on my part, um, which I found out later. Uh, but we went to places like, um, you know, Villisca. Uh, the first time we went to Villisca, that, I, have you ever heard of the Axe Murder House? I have, yes. Okay. So uh, I had uh, talked to Darwin Lynn and Johnny Hauser, who Darwin's gone now, um, God bless him. Uh, but Johnny Hauser uh, had... Uh, open it up to doing overnights there, and we thought, well, this is a great way to kick it off. Um, and so we we went and we stayed the night there. And of course, a lot of people had stayed there, and a lot of people had investigated it. And you know, I had asked Johnny, um, "What's the best way to get get these spirits woke up?" And he goes, "Well, I would probably provoke the living crap out of them." And, uh, you know, I'm a very upfront, forward guy. And, of course, we were wanting to have the time of our lives and come out with all the answers. And so that's what I did. Well, um, I was in the attic, and uh, we had caught some pretty cool EVPs. Of course, we didn't know it at the time because we were just recording and walking around and, you know, doing isolation sessions, things like that. But, uh, I had gotten scratched on my back and that brought back a lot of stuff for me. Um, in fact, I got really upset over it. Um, you know, it reminded me of some of the things that had gone on with me. Um, that was our first trip there. We caught EVPs telling us to die. We caught um, a residual EVP of the children being slaughtered in the house. Um, it was it was really pretty horrifying to be honest with you. I don't, but that's a place that calls you back, you know. And uh, after the first time we went, we had gone to a place called Bachelors Grove Cemetery and couple other cemeteries and we were respectful there um but i had gone to the chicago ghost conference with uh, my my it guy and um i had talked to chris Fleming. um he used to have a show on a and e to help kids and stuff and um i believe he's a sensitive or a medium i'm not sure but i talked to him about what went on with me and he had explained that you know, likely I had this attachment when I was using it. That's why I was able to do all those drugs and not be affected by them. And, and uh, you know, yeah, I did have a tolerance built up. But, I mean, there's, there's no way I should have lived through that. And I believe that I lived through it because I, there was a calling for me. You know, I firmly believe that now. Um. But I was confused at the time. And yeah, Chris uh, 
Chris Fleming had kind of gave me a rundown on what his thoughts were and all these lights started coming on for me and, you know, explanations popping into my head. And, and even, even my IT guy was like, yeah, dude, that's, <laughs> that sounds about right. And, um, I just find that odd that something can attach to you that way. And, um, but anyway, I supposedly was clear of any attachments, uh, while we were ghost hunting. And I did that all through school. Um, of course we went back to Villisca because we did not, uh, well, they wanted to go back after we had gotten all the evidence the first time they wanted to go back and try some different experiments and, and I was open to it. I'm not going to lie. I wanted to go back to, I mean, that place kind of, it gets a hold of you and it calls you back. I know people that have been there half a dozen times or more. And, uh, I went back there and we waited till it got dark and I was in an isolation session, um, in the attic again. And, uh, I don't know if you know about the crime there, but the person that did that was a real coward. And, uh, I was saying some negative things about, you know, him being a child molester and some of the things that he had done to that family. And, um, it felt like I had inhaled some dust cause I just, I started coughing and whatnot. And this was a chain of events here. So you kind of got to, Stay with me on this, but it is like someone threw some really fine dust right into my mouth as I was breathing in or something because I just like all of a sudden couldn't breathe. And um, they were watching me on video, uh, watching me cough and whatnot. And so they came and got me out of there. Well, as soon as I got out of there, I, I felt okay. I remember my phone ringing in my pocket, um, it was silenced, but it was it was vibrating in my pocket when, right when that happened. And uh, I got down there, uh, we got outside and I could breathe fine and everything was fine. Well, my IT guy is, he's filming me and he's like, uh, you know, I'm like, we, we shut the camera off. I, I don't want, you know, I was kind of freaked out, you know? Something wasn't right. And uh, he had pointed out that I had a bunch of, well, what he, what I, it looked like a handprint, dude. I'm not, you know, I mean, it looked like I had a handprint on my throat. Uh, and that's not even the crazy part of the story. Um, I went in the bathroom and I looked and I'm like, you know, I don't want anybody to see this, I, you know. I was, I was shocked. I was embarrassed. I was confused. I was going through a lot of emotions at the time. Um, so they shut the camera off and we were trying to process it. And then I remembered that my phone had rung and I, I pulled out my phone and I looked and it was my ex-girlfriend, my friend, my, one of my guy's moms, but she was calling my phone and we weren't together anymore. And I said, dude, your mom called right at the same time I couldn't breathe. 
so you should call her or something, find out what she wants. So he does. Well, she says, I got this really weird feeling that something was wrong and I decided to call you immediately because you need to be taking care of my boy while you're, you know, while you're up there. Um, wow. Yeah, it was at the exact same time. It was just this whole event of weird things. And then I didn't want to go back in that house, man. I That was my night. It, it wasn't even 10 o'clock and I wouldn't go back in there. So those guys pretty much finished up, finished up that investigation. And um, I think that was about the last one we did. Uh, I started to realize that... Um, you know, paranormal, actually, it's not the last one. There was one more. But the paranormal maybe wasn't my gig. But anyway, we had gotten back, and I, uh, sometime later, we had all this equipment. Sometime later, uh, uh, a female had called us, and a woman had called us. Uh, actually, she's really important to me. She's a great friend, and actually, we're pretty close. Um, she had bought this hospital and, um, this is about five years ago. And, uh, she bought the hospital. hospital. Yeah. She bought this old hospital. She wanted to remodel it into her home, into a home because she has a lot of kids and she takes care of her mom and her brother. And, and, uh, the place was haunted. We had actually, uh, investigated it prior when we still were investigating, you know, around local. So anyway, she had gotten our name from the person that, uh, she had bought it from that we had investigated it. And that's how I met her. And she asked if we could come back and do, you know, tell her what was going on in the house. Is it safe for her to bring her kids, all this and that. And so we did an investigation. We, found some stuff we put it on a disc and we brought it in there and showed her that you know what we had caught and it was just a few things um you know a lot of it was you know could have just been dust and orbs and stuff like that we we didn't ever call an orb evidence unless it you know had a picture in it or if it was you know giving off its own light but there was a lot of voices and some other things happening and we uh, did a Frank's box session in there and there was, uh, you know, got told to get out a lot of times and a lot of cussing and whatnot on there. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't feel it was safe for her to move her family into, especially if she was going to be renovating it because everyone in the paranormal world knows that renovations cause hauntings. <laughs> So anyway, uh, she asked me if I could clear it and, uh, I didn't exactly know how to do that. Um, I wasn't practicing a lot of Christian faith at that point. And, uh, so I called on a friend of mine, um, Angela Ashton. She's, uh, she used to do, well, she's helped a lot of people and she, uh, She's a Facebook friend of mine. I knew that she had the skills and knew what to do. And I talked to her and she advised against me doing it, but I didn't know what else to do or who else to call. 
Um, and so she had given me the instructions and, uh, very explicit instructions, which I followed to the T. I mean, there was a pentagram painted on the floor in this building. So there was evil stuff going on there beforehand. Right. Well, I think that might have opened up the door. And so Angela gave me the information on how to close that pentagram um, and also how to clear it room by room. There's like a hundred rooms in this building. It's four floors and it's a whole city block. Um, I got there at about nine o'clock in the morning and her and I spent the entire day clearing it. Things got really crazy. I, the pentagram room was last. Things got really crazy uh, near the end, um, door slamming, stuff like that. I finished it and I was just spent, you know, and I left and I'm like, that's it. I'll, I'll never... I'll never do another paranormal thing. And I, I haven't since then, but my life took a dive. I didn't relapse or anything, but after that happened, my life, my life took a dive, man. Everything was darkness. And you don't know what I mean by that. What I mean is one thing after another going wrong, you know, try to do the next right thing and you get kicked in the face, try to help somebody and they steal from you try to do something nice for somebody and they take it the wrong way. I mean, everything that negative that possibly could have happened, happened, you know, maybe that's a coincidence, but that went on for about a year. I, uh, had developed a relationship with this girl and, um, let's just say environmental factors prevented us from being together. Uh, part of it, I believe related to this building. She's an awesome chick, you know, I, excuse me, a woman. And, uh, <clears throat> I love her to death, but, um, you know, she, she's, she did finally move into that house. And so we still talk and see each other, but I have not been in there since, um, Uh, we disbanded the paranormal team and, uh, you know, I moved on to greener pastures, career development and things of that nature. And finally got my life turned around into a positive direction. And, you know, I swore off basically the whole paranormal thing. And, you know, I look back on that now, Tony, and I, I just, I think to myself, Sometimes I, I just, I, I, I can't even say it was real. You know, that's how crazy it was at one point or many points. And, you know, when I heard what Jim said the other day, I was like, God, that is so right on. That is so dead on. You know, and lately I've been very um, attracted to the whole Sasquatch research thing and, you know, now I'm wondering, is this the next chapter in my life now? Because there's a lot of unanswered questions in that situation. You know, what is it? Is it the Nephilim? Is it flesh and blood? You know, the woo factor. Because I certainly know, I don't believe it is, has woo and all that, but 
you certainly got to ask yourself, if you've seen what I've seen, is it possible? Well, yeah, it is. I don't know. That's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, my life has been put back together, and and uh, there was a lot of other things that I probably could have gone into, but that's really the the summary of of what happened um, to me. And um, you know, if you poke around in stuff that you shouldn't be, you might just be sorry for it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, with all this stuff that had gone on in your life, what made you just keep going back to it? I mean, I know you kind of alluded to it earlier stuff as to you weren't sure why, but do you have any sense as to what was drawing you to these situations? I mean, you, you've been through so much and there was so much that had scared you in the past, yet you continue to put yourself in situations to open yourself up to these entities. Do you have any idea why that would be? Well, once I lost that fear and I got those bands of power, what she had called bands of power. I've, I've looked it up. There's shamanic bands of power. Um, once I lost that fear, it was all, I needed answers, you know? And, it took, I'm one of those guys that you can see I've relapsed a bunch of times. I have to learn my lesson about five times before it actually sticks. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I don't know, man. It's just like Ballista. That place, it calls you back and it calls you back. And, and a lot of guys that have been there, they, they always say, this is it one more time. And then boom, they wind up going again. Um, I don't know how Johnny, Johnny lives next door to it. I have no idea how he goes in that house and cleans it every day and shows people around in there. Um, I know his life has been affected. His house, his house has been affected. His kids, maybe not so much. He must do a lot of things to protect them. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have an answer for you, Tony. I guess is the short answer. That these kind of it, things they, they calls you back. You know, it's like uh, when you don't when you don't feel like something's quite done, and you're one of those guys that has to finish everything. Um, I guess that's that's me in a nutshell. I got you. You know, earlier I guess listening to it from the outside, <clears throat> excuse me, it uh it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I, I wouldn't don't know. say that. I wouldn't say it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I was just asking you for your thoughts a little bit more deeply on that because you're not the only one that <laughs> that has gone through that stuff and kind of almost like a glutton for punishment and keep going back to it. Uh, earlier you mentioned about um, some things that had happened early on and you, you mentioned about how you you kind of wanted to call for call somebody for help but there, you didn't know who to call and and you know do you call 911 on, on in those situations you know and I, I find it funny because a lot of times people will say well why didn't you call for help why didn't you talk to somebody why didn't you uh take a picture or whatever it is but when you're in those moments 
all of a sudden the script has been flipped and you're now the crazy person that's seeing these things. And all of a sudden, all the people that you thought you would call are no longer viable options in your mind in the moment. Is that how you felt? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think a big part of it is fear. And it's funny that you say that because I, I listen to Wes's show and your show and, and there's all these guys that, you know, they go out, they look for Sasquatch and, and, you know, and then they have their sighting and they get so scared or they have, a, or people have a sighting and they're, to- they weren't expecting it and they're totally freaked out and scared by it. And then all of a sudden they're in the woods every weekend trying to find evidence and research and trying to find answers. So I guess you could compare this it the same way. I mean, I'm kind of going down that road too. Uh, when we were out hunting, deer hunting last year, we, um, you know, my buddy said he thought he saw something. We walk over there and there's a, a limb arched over with all the bark off at the top. And there's a tree structure there that's just impossible to fall naturally. Um, and it was right by where he said it was standing. However, no tracks in the snow. I mean, there was dry areas where the snow didn't fall, so it could have gone. And I'm no expert tracker when it comes to, you know, um, I can hunt a blood trail, but and, uh, past that on a frozen ground, I'm, I'm probably not much good as a, a woodsman, you know. But uh, even that little taste of, of that, <clears throat> got me interested in, um, you know, trying to research more and, and, uh, you know, I guess, uh, I guess I'm just that guy. Maybe I don't learn. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're not the only one. There's a lot of people out there that, uh, just kind of dive into these kind of things. You know, I'm one of them, you know, to a certain extent, I don't typically go, ghost hunting. Um, but the whole Bigfoot thing, I've been known to go out in the woods and go off trail for miles. So, um, earlier you were talking about, you know, your situation in your house and how you were watching ghost shows. And I wanted to ask you, what's your gut feeling when it came to you watching ghost shows and the activity happening in a house? Do you think it was related, uh, with your gut feeling Uh, Do you think that maybe watching these shows and getting so enthralled into the show kind of encouraged something to manifest in your house? You mean power of suggestion? No, not power of suggestion, not at all. Actually, more along the lines of do you think that the activity that was happening in your house maybe was spawned by your enthusiasm into the topic through watching the shows? I'm not really sure because... I was watching the shows. I started watching the shows after these things started happening, you know, to find out if there was any reality to it. And like some of the things they were doing on there, like if, if that was you make a knocking sound and, you know, I did that in my kitchen and I got a response and I thought, you know, because there was a knock right next to my head shortly after I just saw it. Um, uh, I think I was watching Destination Truth or something like that. I don't know. But 
it happened right next to my head right after I saw it. And I'm like, huh, if that was you, do that twice. And nothing happened for about, oh, I'd say 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden, I was kind of forgetting about it. And then boom, boom, right next to my head on my, on my kitchen counter. And I just freaked out. I started swearing and yelling. And, you know, I was out of control, scared. And, of course, another night in the Jeep with my cat, you know, which I, she didn't, she would see things. She would look and she would see things. And I knew that she was seeing something because what's there to look at over there on that blank wall. And she would follow it with her head and I'm not seeing anything, but of course, eventually I would see, you know, shadows and I don't know if they were shadow people or if it was just movement. I tried to like say it was just lights from outside, but, yeah, I think, you know, honestly, I think those shows, they they definitely open doors for people that are sensitive or open. And I will tell you, you know, something that I left out, you know, I told you that my mom had mentioned that this stuff runs in our family. Um, that lady that I went and saw, the Reiki master, um, I was having a lot of trouble separating my feelings from other people's feelings. Like I was an emotional wreck, Tony. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie, man. I was crying half the time. I was, it was, it was just a horrible time, but what she, excuse me, what she had me do was go to the mall and sit in the food court or in a common area and watch people walk by. And when I picked up on their feelings, I could tell that that wasn't my feeling. And then when they get out of sight, I would lose that feeling. And that's how I was able to start learning how to, um, you know, discern between my own and somebody else's. Now, since that period of time, that has kind of gone away. My mom, she would call it a gift. I called it a curse. It was horrible, Tony. It was horrible. I'm so glad that part of my life is over. Um, you know, my girlfriend now still lives in that building and we're getting closer again. And at some point I may have to step back in that building. I, you know, after I had left, she had other investigators come in after I had closed that or thought that I had closed that entire place or sealed it or cleared it or whatever you want to call it. And she invited paranormal teams because she didn't get the answers that she needed. And apparently when I cleared it, things were still happening. And so she's still there and I worry about her every day. Yeah, I mean, I, that's understandable. I mean, there's there's an emotional... It's not like it was just a stranger or anything like that. It's, a, it's There's an emotion behind it. There's a, an existing relationship. So I, I can definitely understand that. Um, you know, I, I keep back backtracking here, but I wanted to ask you uh, about that night you were in your house. You opened up the door, and you think you see somebody sitting on your couch. You slam the door shut. Um, you, 
get your glasses on, you open the door again, there's nobody there. But there's a little girl peering around the corner, and her eyes were black. You probably know my next question. Black-eyed kids, do you think that there's a connection there, or do you think it's just a a coincidence? Because um, everything that I've learned so far about the whole black-eyed kid phenomenon is that they ask you to invite them into the house or into your car, and they will not enter your house or car without you actually saying, yeah, get it in, you know, come on in or something like that. Um, what are your feelings about that? Um, excuse me. I've heard about the phenomenon myself. Uh, back then there wasn't any such phenomenon that I'd heard of, uh, when that happened. Um, I rarely had anybody over there because I was so embarrassed. Nobody wanted to come over there. I mean, you could tell when you walked up to the place that you just didn't want to be there. Um, I'm not sure if that girl had black eyes or if she had no eyes and they were just empty sockets. But I definitely, the whole black-eyed children phenomenon, I there isn't much I don't believe, Tony, uh, after what I've seen. You know, when somebody comes to me and they say, like, I, I work in the, in the, you know, with mental health people and, and stuff like that, and, and I got to tell you, when I hear things about, you know, people with mental health issues saying they're hearing voices, and I, I hear the clinical diagnosis and whatnot, and I can't help but thinking, well, how do you know they're not hearing voices. And how do you know those voices aren't real? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I think sometimes we overdiagnose. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's, I know that, I know that fear, you know, I know that fear that, that if you, can you imagine living with something like, well, schizophrenia or something like that, where you're hearing voices, um, and you, and you think they're real, just like me seeing, well, what I call extras, you know, those people that were in Austin and Seattle or that girl that was in Austin and Seattle and, and also up here, um, she wasn't real, but why was she connected to me? And is she somebody there to protect, protect me? I don't know. Those are answers I never found out. And, you know, I don't need to know that anymore. <laughs> well, um, you know what? Along those lines, with what you call the extras, uh, when you were describing them, you said that they were flesh and blood. Like, that's what they looked like. Now, I guess you don't necessarily believe that they're flesh and blood, but that's what you had the feeling of, that they were real people standing right there. Am I correct in saying that you you absolutely could not have told me that they weren't at the time but i've had a couple of people say there's no one there uh that person was not there you know and and me and you know i just i think i see at that time i well maybe even still now, I don't know. I haven't seen her in a long time, but maybe I was seeing somebody that 
was supposed to be part of my life? I, I don't know. Certainly looked like flesh and blood. Certainly seemed to be part of the group that she was with when when I was with uh, Kathy and and we ran into them in the parking lot. It seemed like they those three were together. And then I think back and I'm like, well, I never heard her talk, but she was like with them, like part of like she was part of the you know their little posse. I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I'll tell you what. I, you know, most people know I'm a Christian, and I put a lot of weight in what the Bible says. And I'll tell you, when you told me that, one of the first things that popped in my head was a scripture verse, uh, Hebrews thirteen, verse two. Um, the author of Hebrews, I, I, I personally feel the author of Hebrews is um, Paul the Apostle Paul, but a lot of people will say it's an unknown author. So, but I, I'll say Paul wrote this. Um, Paul says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And when you told me that, that's the first thing that kind of popped into my mind, because you, you, like you said, you described it as something. It seemed so real. They, see, the, the, the girls just was there. Like you, it was a real person, but nobody else saw it. And that's when it, it just popped in my head because Paul says that there's gonna be times that you're gonna be around angels and you're not even gonna know it. So show hospitality to everybody because sometimes you might be showing hospitality to an angel. And uh, that, that just kind of. I'm not saying that's what it was. But what I'm saying is that's the first thing that popped in my head. So I don't know if that, you know, does anything for you, but that's what I was thinking. Well, I'll tell you what, it makes me wonder exactly how many of these people that I have seen, you know, because I know two for sure. The girl stands out the most because she was at a bunch of my shows. You know, I was a front man. I, I was, of course, looking at the girls at the time when I was, you know, I mean, I, I was not always a stand-up guy when it came to girls and relationships. And she was at a, at least a half a dozen of my shows, and, and I'd run into her probably four or five times at other places. I was just one of those people that you know, but you don't really know. And, you know, to see her in three different cities in, in basically three corners of the country, uh, that's somebody that I sure would like to know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I didn't get a negative vibe from her. Uh, it scared me because I thought that maybe my mental health was slipping, but now I know that, you know, it was, it isn't, it wasn't, it, you know, this stuff did happen and there's nothing that anybody could say or do to, to make me change that. And what you just said, um, I always, you know, my recovery is really big in my life and I always try to do the next right thing and not judge other people. And some of the things I may have said here tonight, you know, I hope that people don't judge me. Um, my life is all about helping people now. Um, 
I was a taker for a lot of years and now I'm a giver and, uh, I have a huge heart and, you know, people take advantage of that sometimes and that's okay. You know, it's not going to change the way I do for the next person. I'm, I'm cool with that. I guess call it a life lesson. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really cool that, you know, you've experienced a turnaround in your personal life. The, the whole paranormal stuff aside, the fact that you've been able to have a turnaround and now you're giving back to people who are in need, like you were at one time, um, man, that just shows the heart that you have. And uh, I'm glad you shared that, really, because there's a lot of people out there. Like you, you, you say you hope people don't judge you, but I think most people can relate because whether they we're into the drug thing or something else. Like everybody's got a dirty secret. Everybody's got a past. Everybody's got stuff in their closet that they try to hide because they're just not proud of it, you know? And you coming sure. forward and, and just, you know, being real, that creates an environment that creates an environment for other people to be real as well. And, um, you know, I, I really, I really appreciate you sharing that really. I really do. Uh, because, you know, just what the show is about, man. Like we share our experiences so other people can feel comfortable to share their experiences. And that's just, that's not just with paranormal Bigfoot, whatever, like that's life, you know? So, but here we, here we go on a counseling session on a paranormal show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not getting paid for that. (laughs) No, you know what, man, being able to unload this stuff, I've never opened up to anybody about all of this at once. There's people that know bits and pieces, but I've never like been able to unload the whole thing at once. And, um, you know, I just, I want to thank you for, you know, listening and, and, you know, being so polite and, and also offering up the your take and the scripture and stuff that that really made me feel good. You know, I probably need to work on the spirituality piece of my recovery. I always have, and you know, maybe that's just a kick in the pants that I need to to get there. And so, I really appreciate you know you giving me this opportunity to to be on here. And I really want to say to the other the others that have been on your show, um, you know, um, one in particular, uh, I'm not going to use his name, but you know, he touched Bigfoot when he was little, uh, episode know, 17, Jason. That's funny. Yeah, man. I see what a great guy he is. He's Facebook friends with me now. And, um, what an awesome dude. He's, he's reached out to me a couple of times and, and we, you know, had a little, little bit of a chance to chat, but, you know, uh, what an awesome world we live in where, you know, the social media can be used for good for once. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you're not the only person that has reached out to me, uh, wanting to con- communicate with Jason and stuff. Uh, a lot of people have been affected by what he had to say that day. So, you know, it's just another episode that we did that, you know, had deep rooted uh, emotions attached to it that helped other people sort through things. But, um, man, I really appreciate you coming on here, Jack, and just, you know, sharing your story and, you know, being you, just opening up and just sharing what you had and um, letting other people hear what you had to say, man. I appreciate it, Tony. Thank you. 
You got it, man. And if you have any other things that, you know, happen to you down the road or something, feel free to reach out and talk to me about it. Uh, I'm all ears, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Great. Bye. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And a quick reminder to those of you who listen to the show on iTunes, if you haven't done so already, please go over there and rate and review the show. Those ratings and reviews definitely help the show and keep us relevant on iTunes. And I was actually reading through the different reviews this week, and the one kind of made me chuckle a little bit. It was written by Snook888. A bit loosely organized, but it works great. Great topics and non-judgmental. And I really appreciate that compliment. But it made me chuckle because it says, a bit loosely organized. And I was thinking, man, that just describes me. I'm just a loosely organized kind of guy. And it just kind of made me chuckle. So Snook888, thanks for writing that. Kind of made me smile a little bit. And I'm glad you're enjoying the show. And I'm glad that you see it's non-judgmental because that's one of the biggest goals I have with the show. I don't want people feeling like they're being judged when they come on here. It's a show where it's just for you to come on here and share your story and experiences for other people to hear and kind of get it off your chest. So I'm glad I'm accomplishing those goals. But until next show, friends, I really hope you guys have a great week at work or if you're on vacation, whatever you're doing, I hope you guys have a great time and find yourselves smiling more than not. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Hey, hey, hey. Just think while you've been getting down and out about the liars and the dirty, dirty cheats of the world, you could have been getting down to this sick beat. I'm too late.